Bibles with me to Judges chapter 2. The Old Testament book of Judges is a story of a nation that went from prosperity to captivity. The nation of Israel went from the mountaintop high to the lows. They've gone on to be involved in wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And this is a pertinent book for us as we talk about passing on the faith to the next generation. At the end of Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And this is what we just heard about how individualism has spread from silence and just keeps going down and down and down based on technological advancements. And there's one key verse that I want to focus on in particular as we talk about passing on the faith to the next generation, and that is Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. But let me go ahead and read the context, starting in verse 6. Now, when Joshua dismissed the people of Israel, went, dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaish. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods, from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. Again, look at verse 10 with me. It said, And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and notice this, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. We want to understand how can another generation, the one right after these conquests of the land. How can they fall off? At the start of the generation, they followed Joshua to the promised land for the conquest. We see this. Early in the conquest, we see the Israelites, what they did was they adapted to the customs of the pagan. You see, one of the reasons why we do not pass on the faith to the next generation is because of partial obedience. We, we, we think we're obeying, but we're not going all the way. We're not doing everything that God commands. In verse 4, it says, Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and cut him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. The ancient method of ending a military career was to cut off the conquered king's limbs. And as an example, the servants would stop fighting because they see their king has been humiliated. The problem was God commanded them to drive out the people, and they partially obeyed. 
We see this partial obedience in Judges 1.19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. Notice this. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And you may think, well, that makes sense, right? I mean, chariots of iron, that would be like tanks of the ancient world. So just a couple dozen of them could mow down hundreds of foot soldiers. So Israel might be saying, that's why we couldn't drive them out. But you have to understand that Israel was able to do mighty things with God. And in fact, in Judges chapter 6, a female judge was able to drive out a conquering kingdom with chariots. But notice this, they did not drive out that word is used frequently. In verse uh, 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. In verse 28, when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. But notice this again, but they did not drive them out completely. Verse 29, and Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. 30, Zebulun did not drive out. Asher did not drive out. 32, they did not drive them out. The picture Judges wants to paint for us is that there's control, but not total conquest. And look at God's response. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. And you shall break down their altars. Notice this. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare to you. The next generation, remember in chapter two, verse 10, they didn't know God or follow him. And it's because in one instance, the partial obedience of the first generation. They did not drive out the nations. They allowed, and they were a thorn in their flesh. And our young people today, they pick up on their partial obedience. And you know, I talk to you about the different generations and things, but when it comes to it, the word of God is sufficient. And the word of God says for us that we need to fully obey God. Our teenagers, our young people pick up on the partial obedience in our life. They pick up on a husband and wife who are fighting frequently. They recognize the unforgiveness and the bitterness that is seen in the mother's face. They see the lack of love and leadership in the father. They pick up on this behavior and it is having an effect on them. They pick up on the partial obedience in the church when we are commanded to love one another, to bear with one another, to forgive one another. And they pick up on the conversations at home when you are talking bad about deacon so-and-so or you're gossiping about them. They pick up on it. Our teenagers, they pick up on the partial obedience when parents say God is number one, but then other things get in the way of that. Maybe it's that athletic competition that's one week. Oh, it's just one week a month. Then it's two weeks a month. Uh, And then it's, oh, we'll be at youth group, but you know the soccer is there. Or the academic rigors. Hey, I really want my kid to go to snow camp, but you know 
they have to study for their SAT right now, or there's a scholarship that they need to, oh, I would love them to go on this mission trip, but you know they have to have this academic rigor that's there. They see how parents say with their mouths that God is most important, but then with their wallets and with their time, he's not number one. Parents, are your children learning the preciousness of the faith to you? Do they see it in your priorities and how you spend your money and how you structure your lives? If you evaluate just these things that you've been involved in, what do they deduce? That God is number one or he's not? Pastor Stephen Davey says, one of the greatest stumbling blocks that the young Christians have is not the opposition of the world, but the disobedience of so-called established Christians. They are watching our example. If I'm not practicing what I am preaching, I am a hypocrite. And uh, just this, uh, I believe on Friday, yes, on Friday, I asked my kids, hey, do mommy and daddy argue? Yes, okay. It was a really revealing conversation with them because I'm interested to see, what do they see? And Layla talked to me, yeah, you were unthankful because mommy brought food and you didn't like it and you didn't, you didn't uh, talk in the right way. And I was like, whoo, whoo, baby. I was like, oh, she's paying attention. And then, thankfully, she said, but I did see you when you got home. You apologized to mommy that you were unthankful. And I said, oh, my. I said, Maybe I have to do more of these things here too. And I know my kids speak out, but it was a great example for me to see that they are watching everything that I do. Every interaction, every conversation. Your teens are going to pattern their relationship with God based off of yours. And for some of us, that should scare us. That should awaken us to say, I need to pursue God, not just because for my kids, but because of what he's done for me. But they are watching our example. This generation, uh, Gen Z and the Alpha, they distrust leadership and authority. They uh, distrust people who are in power because they feel like they failed and they don't admit it. Mistakes are going to be made by our generation. But notice this, commitment in our generation is replaced by complacency, which can be replaced by compromise. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. We need to be people that when we say we love God and we follow him and we have total commitment to him, not just say it with our words, but with our feet and our actions. So that is one way where we lose the next generation is because of partial obedience. And then also, the blame can't only be placed on the parents because given all this, should the loss of the generation be put at the feet of Joshua and Caleb and the contemporaries? I mean, they conquered Canaan, but were they neglectful during all their vigor and not telling them? Notice what the word of God says. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. And notice this, verse 11, this is key. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baal. The passage is not saying that they did not know about the Lord, 
They knew about him. They were taught about him. They would have known the story of the Exodus and the Red Sea, the crossing of Jordan, the wall of Jericho falling down. They would have had knowledge of him, but did it penetrate their hearts? You see, the word know means to personally experience. The next generation didn't faithfully follow God because they did not have a relationship with them. And that's something that we as parents can't make our kids do, but we can express to them that you have to have your own personal relationship with them. Too many teens, and I have to remind them, you cannot be on the coattails of your parents and it's their faith. You have to have your own personal faith. Notice, they have to take ownership too. They did, verse 11, what was evil. They served the Baals. They served the idols. They abandoned the Lord. They willfully disobeyed. That word no is also used in 1 Samuel 2.12, where the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas committed detestable acts with women who served in the temple. The next generation were no less ignorant of the calling as a nation as Samson was of his calling as a Nazarite. Their evil did not arise only maybe because of their parents, but it was their own choice. Their failure to obey is their own responsibility. We have to teach our kids that they are sinners and they need a savior. We can't just be pumping up the so-called self-esteem, you're so good, you're so... We have to tell them, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, just like your mom and dad is a dirty, rotten sinner. We have to be honest there. This next generation, it's not just there they didn't obey. In verse 10, it says they did not know the Lord. Verse 17, they did not listen to their judges. Verse 17, again, they did not do as their fathers. 19, they did not um, abandon the practices or their stubborn ways. Uh, judges 8.34, they did not remember the Lord and they did not serve him. It was their own will, folk disobedience. But why? Why would they abandon the Lord? Why would they bow down and serve another God? The Canaanites, if they had heard the stories, more than likely, of all that God had done, the Israelites were new to the land. And so they did not drive out the Baals, but why? You see, you need to understand something about the Baals. The Baals, the multiple gods for the Canaanites, it shaped their whole way of living their spiritual life, but then also their life in general. They trusted the Baals, the Canaanites, for rain, for fertility, for crops, for the crops that they would feed to their animals in order to eat. So their livelihood was based off of these gods and these idols, and they had lived in the land a long time. They would have had understanding of things. So when the Israelites who have just arrived into this land, if you remember, they were getting manna. They were, the Lord was providing for them in that way. And now they would have to figure it out on their own, which the Lord said he would still provide. But they saw something in the corner. It's like, hmm, seems like that works. Maybe I will go along with it. What they could say is what could make more sense in these circumstances than to learn from the native inhabitants? You see, there was no ShopRite or Aldi's, so they didn't have a DoorDash. So, I mean, do what they do, and that's how we can eat. You could hear these Israelites saying, what harm could it do if it gives, helps me succeed in life? And, but in the same way these false gods of the Canaanites are there, there's 
false gods that are spewing messages that are so subliminal, we don't even realize it, but we do need to be made aware of it, that, hey, what can bring me success? Well, if, if it's going to make my child happy and it doesn't really harm him, what, isn't it okay? What harm could it be if it keeps everyone peaceful? What harm could it be if it makes me happy? Again, this mindset in our society is you do you. Do what makes you feel good. That's where we have misunderstanding about our identity and who we are and what we want. You see, their idols for the Israelites were the idols of Baal. Our idol is the idol of ourself. The idol of the self is the center of our existence. We find our ultimate significance in who we are. Again, as I said from the army slogan, be all that you can be. Do you hear that? Do you understand what the world is saying to you? You find your meaning. You find your truth. You find your purpose. You find your identity all within yourself. Our goal in life is what the world says is to push past your limits. It's you exalt yourself. We live in a narcissistic, nihilistic culture, which urges us to just do what makes us feel good. The idol of me. I mean, think about it. The iPhone, where you are at the center. You have your own entertainment. This thing has turned you into you are just in a consumer. You just engage. You are wrapped up into this. And it's interesting, after the creation of the iPhone, that depression, suicide rates, loneliness have all spiked, even though you have technology. Technology, isn't it supposed to be the king that makes everyone happier and richer and more fortunate in fame? But the consumption of it, because we don't realize, has just made us consumers and we're feeding on our own flesh feeding on our own flesh because we are at the center, because we need to understand we weren't made for ourselves. We were made by God, for God, for his glory. You see, now that we've uncovered the negatives uh, in regard to losing the second generation, I want to focus the time that I have left on what we should do to keep them. You see, we need to understand first is parents have the primary responsibility Deuteronomy 6.4, and these words that I have commanded you today, you shall put on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk with them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. The first assignment by God is given to the parents to love God for themselves and then to also have this relationship and try to get your kids to love God for themselves. We want to impress upon our young people the truths of God, of who he is. We want to not just believe in who God, we want it to flesh out in our lives. Are we reflecting that to them? Are we, as the song said, let them see you and me? Do they see Jesus Christ in our lives? With parents as the primary disciples, are they seeing who Christ is by your example? Can you say to your teenager, to your young person, imitate me as I imitate Christ? For us that are believers, that's a tall task. What it means for us, because we're not Christ, is do we own up when we make mistakes and failures? Do we say, please forgive me, I've done wrong? 
do we help them recognize the richness of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Parents are the primary disciples, but then we need to understand that the church family has a role. Deuteronomy 31, which we won't read tonight, but Moses talks about how the leaders, specifically the Levites, are supposed to gather the people together and declare all the works that God has done. Titus chapter 2 commands the older men to invest in the younger men, and the younger men to invest in the, or sorry, and the older women to invest in the younger women. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are commanded by God to stir one another up. And here's the thing, it takes a whole church family to do, to be part of this process. You see, it takes a whole church family to be involved in this process of nurturing and raising someone up. I think of the people in my church family growing up in Kansas City, Missouri, and I think of Glenda and Johnny Johnson. I remember going to their house uh, as a kid, uh, her getting me my Kool-Aid, watching TV shows, but just loving on me, Aunt Glenda. She would watch me in the summers, just have so much fun. I remember the teenagers that were in the nursery, Jason and John, who literally would beat me up every Sunday when I came in there, but I loved it teenage guys that wanted to spend time with me. They wanted to impact my life. I remember Carol Williams, uh, Grandma Carol, who taught me in Sunday school and helped me realize that I could memorize a lot more than I ever thought I could. She said, if you can do soccer, you can memorize scripture. If you have that passion for the sport, you can have a passion for God. I remember Grandma Barbara Besaw. I remember her calling me honey and giving me kisses at church, um, taking me uh, to her log cabin in Missouri. They had an indelible impact on my life and they weren't my biological family, but they came alongside of my parents to help nurture me in my growth in the Lord. And I see this taking place in our church family. I see this with my own kids. I see this with my daughter, who she has an aunt here who she loves and adore. And now my son is angry. Why don't I have that now? I see how my kids, when they walk into the pastor's office, that our pastors love my kids. They want to see my kids. Oh, there's the mints. Oh, I see my kid, pastor Steve just playing in the little hole with Xavier. Do you know all these little relationships, it makes a difference? I see my teenagers who hang out with my kids and they love them. My little Zay Zay, he calls everyone E-Man because he loves E-Man, but he just misses them when we go to college. Why? Our church family is amazing and the impact they're having on my family, I want us all to do that for others. We as a church family need to come alongside one another and say, you know what? Let's get to know them. Yeah, they may be younger. Yeah, they may have differences and we laugh at them. But the thing that they need is a community. They need a community of believers, both old and young, that will say, I love you and I'm going to help you just in the same way. I think of some of my teens that are walking now faithfully with the Lord. And I know for a fact, because I can think of you all in the church family, that have had an impact in their life. 
that you've had internal impact. And it may just be a conversation, how's school doing? It may just be a simple thing, how can I pray for you? It may just be a simple text, you don't realize the impact you are making for a generation. We, at Faith Baptist Church, we can pass on the faith to the next generation. We just have to realize, even if they're not our kids, they're our kids, in a sense. That we come alongside the parents and we encourage them in the love and admonition. We encourage them in what they are doing. We can be a church that this church is going to keep going. They're going to stand on our shoulders and it succeeds. And that's what we want to see in our church family. We want to see the next generation that they go to different heights than ours. We don't want to just say, oh, those were the heydays back then. No, 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 no. We want to be a generation that they're standing on their shoulders and they're doing amazing things for God, that they've been encouraged by you. I want to go on the mission field, and I know these ladies in the pew are praying for me. We need to help our young people know they're part of something way bigger than themselves. They're part of God's mission to reconcile the world. And they have people, not just mom and dad, who love and care them, care for them. Let's be part of passing this faith to the next generation. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for so many people in my life, Lord, who cared for me and came alongside my parents, Lord, who prayed for me, who were there at my soccer games, Lord. I just pray that we would be a church family that would do the same thing, Lord. We would look at that teen, Lord, and even if there's differences, even if there's awkwardness, Lord, we would care and we'd reach out. How can I pray for you? How can I support you? We come alongside their parents. Lord, let us be a church family that loves, that loves and cares for one another and stirs one another to love and good deeds. In your name, amen. You are dismissed.